We're going to be talking this morning about John the Baptist. So Jesus is carrying out his ministry in the book of Luke. He's conducting the Sermon on the Mount and the various miracles that he's doing. And while this is going on, there are disciples of John who are traveling with Jesus. And in Luke 7.18, the disciples of John, um, they are watching and the miracle that seems to cause this particular response was at Nain when, remember, Jesus went the day's journey and out came the widow with her only son who had died and Jesus meets them right at the city gate and raises the boy from the dead. And it's at that point that the disciples of John go back to John and begin to report to him the things that Jesus has done. And so they probably tell him about the Sermon on the Mount They tell him about the centurion. Remember the centurion's servant? Uh, That's the order in which that goes. And then this incident here at Nain. So they go and they have to tell John. They have to report. And you're like, well, why doesn't, where is John anyway? John is in prison. John has been in prison upwards to uh, perhaps as long as a year by now. Uh, John down there in the Jordan River had been preaching and had been very bravely and courageously declaring the word of God, declaring that you must repent and turn to God. And whether he was goaded into it or not, it's, he might have been. It doesn't record that he was. But we know that they worked really hard at trying to get Jesus to say something bad about the Roman authorities. Remember the whole question there about whether or not you should pay taxes. They're thinking, now we've got him. If he says don't pay taxes, we're going to run right to the Romans and have him arrested. It may very well be that they said to John, oh, well, if you're going to stand up and preach all this righteousness stuff, what do you, what do you think about Herod and, uh, and Herodias, huh? What do you think about that? And John may have very well just said, obviously, that was a problem. Maybe he just came out with it on his own. It's hard to say. Either one, it doesn't matter. I don't think John was going to back down for a second. John was going to speak the truth. And, of course, the truth was that Herod, on his way to Rome, stopped off to visit his brother Philip, and Philip's wife, Herodias, who knows how the two of them got eyeing one another, but the next thing you know, Herod leaves and takes Herodias with him, his own brother's wife. She's ambitious, he's lecherous, it's a match. And off they go. He's going to be higher in the Roman hierarchy than Philip. So she hitches her wagon to him. John stands up and says, well, that's just wrong. That is, that is just immoral. Uh, Herod has great respect for John. I think Herod might even have a little better understanding of the politics of the situation and his rule over the nation. Uh, Everyone counts John to be a prophet. Herodias just hates him. How dare he call her sin publicly? Of course, she's doing it publicly, but no one better call her out on it. We should be prepared if we're going to stand up and declare what we think the truth is, to have people who disagree with us hate us. I don't, I don't think that's too surprising, right? We're actually watching that unfold in our own society. So John has now been in prison. Um, Josephus tells us that he'd been imprisoned in Herod's, uh, he's got a fortress on the east side of the Dead Sea. It's Maturius. It's, it kind of sits up there on a, you know, a beautiful view of the Dead Sea. Remember that the east side of the Jordan River, that there were two tribes that stayed over there. It was, it was a beautiful, lush place. And so 
Herod's got a fortress there, and John's imprisoned in the bottom of it. Uh, John's been in there for almost a year, and these guys come back with this report. They're like, well, you can imagine the conversation, right? Uh, this guy, Jesus, that you baptized and told us was the Messiah, he's a nice guy. He's, he's a good guy. He's, he's doing pretty amazing stuff. He, he's got this really good sermon. I mean, and, the, and um, you know, they recite the sermon, I'm sure. And um, on that whole idea as to whether or not he's going to be overthrowing the Romans, though, I, uh, he's healed a Roman centurion servant. That's something to do with the Romans. Doesn't really look particularly hostile. Um, he is raising people from the dead. I mean, you know, there's stuff going on, but I don't know. I, I, if we were looking for this guy who was going to rise up an army and overthrow the Romans. So John gets back the report, summons two of his disciples, not necessarily the guys who gave the report. Verse 19, John sends them to the Lord saying, are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? Verse 20, when the men came to him, they said, and if this sounds familiar, it's because it's exact. John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? I mean, this is, it's really clear in the text that this is an exact quotation. John has asked this exact question and we are here to word it exactly like John did. We, we really need to have an answer to this. I mean, are you the expected one or not? Um, it's really reasonable, by the way, particularly if you understand the theology of the day, if you understand John's situation. Uh, it's surprising John hasn't asked this question maybe a little sooner even. This is, this is the question, what is God doing? And this is what the text is about. This is when all of us find ourselves in a place, in a situation where we're fairly confident, we think we know what God is doing, except God doesn't seem to be doing it. But we think he should be doing it. We're sure we know what God should be doing, but God doesn't seem to be cooperating with our expectations. When you find yourself in a position where God is not fulfilling your expectations, you think about this passage. This is John the Baptist here. This is a guy who from his mother's womb has been filled with the Spirit of God. This is the guy that when Mary shows up and, and, and walks into the house where Elizabeth is and says, hey, I'm pregnant too, John literally leaps in her womb. Can you imagine? So this is a guy who from before he was born has been filled with the Spirit of God. You would think if ever anyone was a person who would never have any doubts, who would never have any questions about what God is doing. John would be that guy. And yet, here he is, and he's sending his disciples to look at Jesus and say, you know, my whole ministry was to come here and to announce the Messiah. And I announced you. Are you this guy or not? Are you the one that we were expecting? Or should we actually start looking for somebody else? Because I got to tell you, I had some other expectations. Now, what's producing John's doubts? Well, 
he's in a very difficult personal position. He's in jail. I mean, he's in prison. He's in prison and he's not able to go out and continue to preach. He's not able to go out and baptize people in the Jordan River anymore and hasn't been able to do so for upwards to a year. This is a guy who grew up in the wilderness. This is a guy who loves being outdoors, who loves the sun and the sky and the wind in his face. And I mean, he dresses in like an Old Testament prophet. This is, this is a guy who is eating locusts and honey. And this is a wilderness guy. And they've got him in a jail cell. Probably hasn't seen the sun in months. Certainly hasn't felt the wind on his face. This is a guy who is in a situation that is really difficult for him. So it's not surprising that he's kind of like, okay, what am I, what, what? Wait a minute. This is supposed to be the Messiah. John knows the scriptures, right? And the Messiah comes, and when he gets here, somewhere along the line here, right? He's going to raise up an army, and he's going to go out and defeat the Romans, and and we're going to have great victory. This is exactly how this is supposed to go, right? Wait, didn't Jesus read the passage in Isaiah 61? Didn't he? Didn't he read this? Let me read this to you because this should sound familiar to us all. Remember, Jesus got up and is at the right at the beginning of his ministry in his hometown synagogue, right? He, he got up and he read this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. I'm a prisoner. He's supposed to be the Messiah. What am I doing in prison? I mean, this is a completely reasonable thing for John to ask. I mean, if you're the Messiah, if you're the guy who says, this is me, I'm going to fulfill this, John is looking around going, well, what am I doing in prison? You're supposed to be letting the prisoners free. That's exactly what it says. If you're going to let the captives go and you're going to let the prisoners free, why am I a captive in prison? It's, it's not unreasonable for John to ask that exact question. We all know that it's possible to suffer for the cause of Christ. Just look at the Old Testament prophets, you look at church history, we acknowledge that intellectually. But that's different than when it's you. It's one thing to say, yeah, people suffer for the cause of Christ, and I'd be willing to, too. Well, right up until you actually are asked to, and then we find out whether or not we really are or not. And when the suffering arrives and the difficulty comes and the hardship sets in, that's when we start wondering where the love of God is. Where is the love of God? Is God, am am I really being faithful here? I, I, I mean, I know that God does what's right, but wait a minute here. John, John can go, I've been just doing what God wants me to do. I declared the coming of the Messiah. I went out and preached boldly, fearlessly. I looked, at the, I looked at the Pharisees and scribes and said, you snakes and vipers, and who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And I, I did exactly what God wanted me to do. I've been a faithful messenger of God. 
what am I doing in this prison cell? And isn't it the Messiah's job to release me? What is he doing here? I'm one of the good guys. Good guys aren't supposed to be in prison. Good prisons are supposed to be for the bad guys. I'm not a bad guy. I'm the good guy. Another problem that John had, John, we love you. The Spirit of God doesn't dwell you. But the fact is, you haven't got all the facts yet. John's theology is not yet complete. John is clearly buying into and following the common teaching of the day, which is no one foresees two comings of the Messiah. So all he sees is the one coming. This is setting the captives free is supposed to mean people like John. Get John out of prison. But that's actually not what that passage is referring to. What Jesus is going to release people from is not just imprisonment. Jesus is going to literally release us from the power and the penalty of sin in our lives. God has got a rescue that is so much greater than getting somebody out of prison. But it hasn't even crossed anybody's mind, not even John's. When when they think about rescue, when they think about deliverance, they're they're just thinking very small. You're just thinking about deliverance in this world. You're thinking about deliverance from the Romans. You need deliverance from a whole lot more than the Romans. You need deliverance from sin. You need your sins forgiven. Also, there was this idea, common in the day, which is completely understandable, um, that before the Messiah actually came, that there were perhaps going to be other prophets re-arrives. And if, if we look back on it, and we're like, come on, you know, we, we have the whole picture. But if you're looking, if you're back there and the New Testament hasn't been written and you're just trying to figured this all out. It's not unreasonable. There are, there are some passages. Remember when Jesus said to his disciples, and we'll get to this here, it's, it's coming in Luke, who do men say that I am? Well, some say that you're Moses, some say you're Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets, you know, and Jesus, of course, says, who do you say that I am? Um, why do they say that? Well, Moses says in Deuteronomy 18, 18, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. This is God speaking to Moses. So there's, there's going to be a future prophet. There's the voice crying in the wilderness. There's a prophet. I think John has figured out that he's that person. Um, Malachi says, behold, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. But Malachi 4, 5 says, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet. So if you can't put this all together, you're kind of thinking, well, all right, we're going to have the voice of one crying in the wilderness. We're going to have the prophet. And then we're going to have, I don't know, maybe the Messiah. Is he different from these? And Elijah's got to come. And, and, and the prophet's got to, who is the prophet? Maybe the prophet's Jeremiah. Maybe the prophet's Ezekiel. Uh, Maybe the prophet's Isaiah. We don't know. But apparently there's going to be the prophet, and then there's going to be the voice, and then there's going to be a lot. So they're over there trying to put this all together. And they're thinking, well, all right, if you're in this theological mindset, you're thinking that, well, 
I don't know, maybe Jesus is just one in the series. You know, this is where John is coming from. So are you actually the one, or are you just one in the series? Um, that's why the disciples say to Jesus, well, why do the scribes say Elijah must come first? Well, they say that because that's exactly what, um, what it says. And so he answered and said, well, Elijah, Jesus says, Elijah is coming and will, in fact, restore all things. But that prophecy could have been fulfilled by John if, you know, if they'd have accepted him, but they didn't. So Old Testament passages and prophecies, you've got to feel bad for those folks who looked at them and tried to read the future, by the way we should be gracious to other people who have other views of what our future might be. I personally think it's pretty clear that Jesus is going to take his church out. We're going to go into the tribulation. He's going to come back. We're going to go into the millennium. But the fact is, there are other people who believe other views on that, and it's okay. I'll be gracious to them. You know, once they die, they can get their theology straight, you know. Um, But it is difficult, right? And we kind of look at this and we think, yeah, that's clearly what it says. But you look back at these folks. Even John the Baptist is sitting around going, I don't know. Is he really the Messiah or is he just one of the prophets in the list? So, yeah. Philip says, remember after he met Jesus, um, he goes to Nathaniel and says, I found him whom Moses in the law and the prophets also wrote of. So they've got this idea that the Messiah, he's, he's, they, they got it, but it's difficult. It's really hard. Plus, look at the ministry that Jesus has had up to this point as they go and report it to John. Well, he's preached this sermon. He's, he's went around and, and, you know, I'm sure they gave a list of some of the healings that Jesus has done. Um, but that healing the centurion slave, that's going to just really, really throw them off here. That, that, uh, and then he's raising this widow's... I mean, it's all good, but listen to the preaching of John. And I know Steve read this, but just, just listen to it one more time and think about your John. This is your message. And then you're looking at Jesus and you're like, Okay, so John goes into the district and he's preaching baptism and he says, to the, he says to them, you know, you brood of vipers, right? Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? There's wrath coming. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. This is, this is what you got to do because, you know, the axe has been laid to the root and if you don't bring forth good fruit, then you're going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. And the people are wondering, they're in the state of expectation and all wondering in their hearts about John, is he the Christ? Maybe John is the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah. I mean, he sure sounds like the Messiah. And John says to you, oh no, you think I'm bad? You think this preaching is fiery? You think I'm really going after you? You just wait. There is one after me who is mightier than me. I'm not even fit to untie his, the shoelaces of his sandals. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he is going to clear out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn and burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. You just wait till he gets here. Okay, well, here he is. He's here. Uh, Where's the axe? Where's the winnowing fork? Where's the fire? Jesus is going around doing good. 
Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount about how you should love your enemies and love your neighbor and, and do good to those who hate you and, and love those who despise you and turn the other cheek. And, and, and what kind of Messiah is this? I thought we were supposed to have fire and axes and, and you know, what? It's completely understandable that John is just mystified by this. This is just, is this the Messiah? Wait, Malachi 4.1 for behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff, and the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts. Yeah, that's what the Messiah is supposed to do. He's supposed to show up here and burn the place to the ground and then rebuild it again so that we're all sitting in the kingdom and ruling and reigning. And, and this is, John has the exact same expectation everybody else has. Where is this baptism of fire? Where, where is this? Where, where's the winnowing fork? Where's the axe? Come on, Jesus. What, what, you love our enemies? What, who, where did you get that? Isn't this the day of the Lord? Isn't, isn't, aren't you the Lord? Isn't this the day of the Lord? Isn't where all of this happens? Destruction. Wait, Isaiah 13, 6. Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. The day of the Lord is coming cruel with fury and burning anger to make the land a desolation and he will exterminate its sinners from it. Yeah. Boy, we're just, we're waiting. This is the Messiah. This is what we've got to do in order to rebuild the place. And so it's not surprising that John asked this. Now, this applies to us because if you're wondering what in the world God might be doing in your life, you may want to go back and study the scriptures a little more clearly. If we are thinking that somehow, well, I got saved, and so the blessings of God are just going to pour on me, and I'm going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and everything's going to be great, and all my sins are going to be forgiven, and life is just going to be wonderful. There's, I mean, there's, there's no more trials. There's no more difficulties. no more hardship. I mean, after all, I'm a Christian now. Okay, if you have that for a theological view, um, let me encourage you that that would be completely incorrect. And you better get ready, because trials and hardships and difficulty are absolutely heading our way to every single one of us. God doesn't promise he's going, to, he's going to save us from those. He does promise he'll go with us through them. That's the promise of God. And so we've got to make sure that our theology is correct. It, well, you can't blame John, right? It's understandable. So when these two disciples sent by John come to Jesus and they say, you know, are, are you the one or not? Okay, here's how Jesus responds. Verse 21, at that very time, he cured many people of disease and affliction and evil spirits. And he gave sight to many who were blind. And he answered and said to them, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Jesus doesn't, he doesn't criticize John. He doesn't even act disappointed that, that John is having a, a difficult time here. Jesus is kind and, and he responds by displaying his ministry, which absolutely fulfills, by the way, the messianic role once you put together that there's two comings here. Once it becomes clear that the Messiah is going to come first as the suffering Messiah, then it's all there, plain as day. 
He's going to come back. And when he comes back, then it's going to be the day of the Lord. And he's going to come back with fire. And the sword is going to come out of his mouth. And the whole book of Revelation is all going to come to pass. This isn't that coming. And so Jesus provides John everything he needs. If he'll just go back, relook at the scriptures, and look at what's happening. These are the actions of the Messiah. This is what the Messiah is doing. This is what the Messiah should be doing. And so here we are. Go and tell John. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. This, this, is, this is exactly what John needs to hear. Now, what's interesting, remember the Pharisees, the scribes and Pharisees, they came to Jesus with the same question. They said, if you're the Messiah, show us. Some of the scribes and Pharisees, this is back in Matthew 12, teacher, we want to see a sign. Prove to us who you say you are. And of course, he answers and says to them, you evil and adulterous generation looking for a sign, no sign going to be given to you but Jonah. But that's not what he says to John. John is in a in a position where he needs assurance because, let's face it, Jesus knows John's days are numbered. It's not going to be long after this that they're going to come and take John's head off. So Jesus provides John exactly what he needs. And all John needs to do is is go back and look at what the old prophecies say. Just read the whole thing. Isaiah 35, 5. The eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. Waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in Arabia. This is what's going to happen when the Messiah comes. The problem that John is having is that he he doesn't see the Messiah coming twice. But then again, no one sees the Messiah coming twice. No one understands any of this. If we don't have good theology we're going to have doubts. We're going to have insecurity in our relationship with God. We're going to be continuously wondering what in the world God is doing. It is essential that we get such passages as Romans. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. When trials come, there is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted above what you're able, but will, with the temptation, provide you with a way to escape sinning so that you may be able to bear the trial. He doesn't promise escape from the trial. He promises you an escape from sinning in the trial. But you have to bear the trial. And don't worry, you won't be tried beyond what you're able. You have to grasp those kinds of theological truths. God is not mad at us. If you're a believer and you have come to God and you have asked him and told him you are a sinner and asked for forgiveness, you're forgiven. The trials and the hardships and the difficulties, well, that's just God scourges every son whom he receives. This is the disciplining hand of God. Even Jesus suffered the disciplining hand of God. So don't faint when you're rebuked of God. We all need the disciplining hand of God. Yield to it. Submit to it. Don't wonder if God hates you. God God is not mad at you. The face of God is lovingly towards us. 
The reason why we fall under this, oh, what have I done? Is God trying to teach me some lesson? Yeah, God is probably trying to teach us a lesson, how to trust him more and to be more long-suffering and patient and enduring and to increase our faith. But all, all of the wrath that God has towards our sin, he already poured that out on Jesus. So he's not going to pour it out on us. Our trials and our hardships and our difficulties are from the loving hand of God to discipline us, to help us be better people, more loving, more gracious, more long-suffering, more filled with the Spirit of God and at peace and giving the sacrifice of thanksgiving. That's what God is trying to do in our life. He's trying to make us stronger Christians who will cling harder to the full armor of God that we may be able to resist the devil. This is what God is doing. John's difficulty is that he doesn't have the full theological picture. He's missing certain essential theological points that it wasn't, he wasn't going to get them. He left this world without fully having the full picture. We have the full picture. We need to embrace the full picture. God loves us. You're, I'm certain virtually everyone in this room has got some trial or difficulty or hardship you're going through. There's absolutely no doubt about it. And you may be tempted to wonder, does God still love me? Why is God doing this to me? God is doing this to you to make you into the believer he wants you to be. He's doing this to strengthen you, to encourage you, to give you an opportunity to earn eternal reward. He's not doing it because he's mad at you. Now, that doesn't mean you, you might not reap what you sow. You will. It's not, it's not a license to go out and, well, let's just sin the more because God loves us. Uh, no, if you do that, God has lessons for that, too, and you won't like them. But even then, he'll do it because he loves us. That's... If we go out and sin and reap the consequences of our sin, that's because God loves us. It's not because God hates us. It's not because he's mad at us. It's because he wants us to not act like that. So the face of God to us is smiling. Embrace it. And do your best to live as righteously as you can. God is gracious to John. This is the great thing. We look at this passage. We look at John. First of all, that even John the Baptist would get to a place where he's, he's just struggling here. Okay, well, if John the Baptist struggles with what God is doing in his life, don't be surprised if we're struggling with what God is doing in our lives. The solution is, by the way, do exactly what John did. Imagine, by the way, if John had said, you know, I don't want you guys bothering Jesus. Just go to, go to Peter and ask him. So they go to Peter. Peter, John has sent us, you know, is Jesus really the Christ or what? You, do you know what Peter's response would have been at this point? Yeah, I'm with you. I don't know whether he's the, the Christ or not. I'm, I have the same questions. I'm, I'm just as curious myself. I, I, I can't figure it out either. I, that would have been a mistake. They went right to Jesus. And they got, John got the exact answer he needed. So if you're struggling Talk to Jesus. Lord, I really need to be assured here that you love me and that things are still okay between us. And I, uh, these challenges I'm going through, I, I really need some help. You know what? Jesus completely understands that prayer. He became a great high priest for the very purpose of understanding our infirmities. 
pray that prayer. Don't be afraid to have a, a fully truthful conversation with Jesus. It's okay. He wants us to. And he will provide, just like he did with John, he will provide us what we need. It's in the book. It's in the church. It's with each other. And who knows? Who knows what God might answer your prayer to that with? But he will answer. And he does love us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the example here of John the Baptist. We thank you, Lord, that you don't, you don't sugarcoat. You don't take your, what we might consider the super saints and somehow gloss over their doubts or their difficulties. Uh, you present them to us. And then you present to us your reply. And we look at the life of John. We look at the challenges that he faced And we see that your reply to him was kind and compassionate and provided him with everything he needed uh, to continue to be faithful and true and see that he, in fact, was doing exactly what you wanted him to do. Lord, I pray that when we find ourselves in a place of doubt or a place where we just kind of wonder what you're doing in our lives, that we would go to you and that you would give us the continual assurance to know that you do, in fact, love us and care for us and that you have not taken your hand off us. You are simply using the circumstances of our life to draw us closer to you. So may we be determined to do that and to be better servants, more faithful, more willing to endure. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.